Hi, I'm Dave Miller at DriveWithDave.com. I get to drive some of the fastest, coolest, sexiest cars on the planet. Ever since I bought my first Ferrari, I've been immersed in the global car community. Now I travel the world uncovering the hidden gems in luxury transportation and connecting with extraordinary car enthusiasts. Join me as I find the most exotic cars, meet the owners, and get the behind-the-scenes stories of the world's most exclusive rides. If you're interested in collecting cars or just want to buy your first exotic, Daryl Adams shares his thoughts with us today on how he did it. A career in architecture gives Daryl a unique perspective in car design, and he discusses his collection and why he's chosen what he has in his garage. From his early days of attending a Concours in Paris, Daryl outlines his path of amateur road racing, his first Ferrari, and the importance of doing your homework before you invest in your dream car. Daryl Adams, welcome to the show. Morning, David. Hey, Daryl, we've known each other for a long, long time, and um, you've, you've had some interesting experiences in your life. But um, like I ask everybody, how did you get into cars? Well, it seems like I always was interested in cars, ever since I can remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was real little, I used to go to the stock car races at the fairgrounds and all of that, you know. But what really got me, uh, got me going was when my uh, cousin Tommy came by with his Triumph TR3. And uh, I rode around town in the back of that thing with my dad, my cousin Tom, and that was it. I just thought, this is the coolest thing ever. So So, was it just British cars or sports cars? What was it? No, it was just the whole notion of of that. I had never even really seen a sports car, you know, up close. Ah. And uh, being in it and riding around in it, I thought, this is great. They, you know, they go around corners. And, you know, my, my cousin, I had never seen anybody downshift a car, you know, a manual transmission. Uh-huh. And it just was exciting on all different kinds of levels. And that was it. I, that got me going. I remember my first car was a TR3 as well, baby blue, black ripped interior. Every time I went around the corner and turned left, the right door would fly open. But I fell in love with them at the same time. I understand. Yeah. Daryl, you had also, I know from past experiences and a couple of glasses of wine that uh, you, you you studied abroad early on. The, the University of Illinois had, had a program then when you would go and spend an entire school year at the Ecole de Beaux-Arts in Paris. And uh, so, yeah, I did that. And um, the, it just so happened that the day that we got to Paris, we couldn't get into school. And so the, 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 the uh, design teachers said, you know what? We, we can't get you into school today, so why don't you go into Paris because the Paris Auto Show is on. Oh, and you'll wow. See some, you'll see some beautiful, you know, designs, and we'll talk about design when you get back. Yeah. So that was the first thing I did in Paris. I went to the uh, to the Paris Auto Show, which was a real eye-opener. Yeah, how so? Well, you know, I, I had been reading Road and Track for, you know, all my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I had only seen pictures of these cars like Ferraris and Lamborghinis and, and, and uh, Maseratis and all that exotic sort of uh, stuff. And I walked in and in one place, I could stand there and see all these things all at once. It was like sensory overload, you know, uh-huh. it was a kid in a candy store. And it was, uh, it was just amazing. It really was. Do you remember seeing anything special at that show? Anything that stood out? Well, I, I had always uh, been uh, keen on the, the Ford GT40 because I had followed that, the, you know, the racing history of that car. Uh-huh. And because of that, I had read in Road and Track about this car called the De Tomaso Mangusta because it was essentially a GT40 concept 
with this beautiful Italian body and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, just before the week before we left for, for Paris, I actually saw one on uh, a parking lot in Des Plaines, Illinois, of all places. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to, when I was at the auto show, one of the first cars I saw in the Italian area there was they had a white Mongusta there. Mm-hmm. And uh, right across from it was a uh, was a, a Miura and an Espada and Maserati Ghiblis. And just it was just amazing to see these cars. Uh-huh. So, so was that and I know you have you, you love all things Italian and maybe that's maybe that's fueled a little bit of your passion for for Italian cars. Well, yeah, I think so. I think that's all part of the, you know, in, in school, we were, of course, studying architectural history and the big the big thing about that is the Italian Renaissance, you know, and you, you learn all about the the, the the passion of Italian design and whether it's whether it's designing buildings or paintings or opera, you know, or food, you know, the Italians. I mean, it's like it's amazing what they do. And uh, mm-hmm. so that that really I gravitated toward that. And it's it's kind of been my main interest all along. Now I spent an afternoon with you. Uh, we had a great time in that Dito Maso. That was uh, that's on our YouTube channel, the Drive with Dave YouTube channel. That was the, just a fun car, absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, I just love that car too. I, we have similar paths. I fell in love with that car, car early on, as well. Just just loved it. It's it's kind of it's interesting because it's more of a sculpture than it is a car, you know? I mean, it's, uh, it's just this beautiful thing to look at. Driving it is, is okay, you know? It's, it's not anything like, you know, some of the other uh, performance cars. But it, it really causes a stir wherever you go, that's for sure. Oh, see, I love driving that car. I thought it was just, just absolutely perfect. It is what it is. It's an older car now, but oh, yeah. absolutely beautiful. And you had said that you snuck in to the factory, the Di Tommaso factory. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, we, we had basically all of our time in, in France was we, we, we studied like twice as hard for half as long. Uh-huh. And, then, and then they turned <laughs> us loose for half the time to do whatever the heck we wanted. Uh-huh. So they just let us go. So over the Christmas holiday, we went uh, to Italy. And uh, when we got to, uh, to Modena, the uh, it, it, because it was Christmas holiday, number one, plus there was one of the frequent uh, strikes, like labor strikes that was going on. Mm. So we couldn't get into the, to the factories. And of course, I could never have been gotten into the to the Ferrari factory anyway. You sure. know? But we, right. we drove by it. But then I thought to myself, gosh, you know, De Tommaso here is here someplace. I wonder where they are. Mm-hmm. And we were driving along the, the, the autostrada there. And I looked over and I saw a building that had the name on it. And we just kind of got off the the autostrada and started winding through roads, and we found ourselves there. And uh, right out, parked out in front was one of the very first uh, Panteras. It was one of the test mules. Mm-hmm. It was still steaming from being, you know, uh, uh, flogged on the highway. And so I'm cl- crawling all over it, you know, taking pictures because this was 1970. You know, this is before it had ever been introduced. And the factory kind of opened up. They, 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 these guys came out and they they hustled us away and then next thing i knew the car was gone you know they, they hit it because they didn't want us looking at it and uh i thought oh no they're going to take my camera you know and take all my film out of it mm-hmm. you know because i had all my travel pictures in it uh-huh. but once they once they knew that uh, learned that i was interested in the mongoose they thought oh, oh, oh great come on over here and so they took us into another building where the mongooses were because they didn't they weren't worried about that you know 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and we got in there and got to poke around, and it was it was very very interesting. So I make the assumption, loving all things Italian, that your first real sports car was the Di Tommaso Mangusta. Yeah, uh, no. Okay. No, no. <laughs> no that that would not be right. Uh, actually, you know, when I got home from college, uh, I, I got married in my last year of college, uh. and we had we had our daughter right away. So. I was into, you know, to husband and fatherhood mode, like immediately. Sure. So, so the car was something I had to, you know, I've always felt you, know, you got to have your priorities, mm-hmm. but I didn't let that, I didn't let that die, I put it off to the side and mm-hmm. I kept, I kept involved and, uh-huh. uh, uh, of course doing all my reading and everything else. But the other thing I did was to join the Ferrari club. Okay. FCA. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I knew ultimately I wanted to have a Ferrari and, uh, uh, one of the things I had done in, while I was in Europe was a, a sketchbook. We had a, a very elaborate uh, collection of sketches that we had done there. And a lot of mine were car-based from the time that I was in Italy. And Ma- Martha didn't – you know Martha, my wife. Sure. She was, right. she was not crazy about hanging these things on the wall. Hmm. So uh, I started showing them to other people to see if anybody else was interested. One of the persons who was was John Weinberger. Hmm. And, uh, of course, our Ferrari dealer. Right. And so I met, I met John through that. And uh, so then I joined the Ferrari club and uh, spent probably eight or nine years just kind of being involved and in, in learning about the cars. And then 1988, when um, Enzo Ferrari was kind of at, at the end of his rope, you know, he was uh-huh. getting ready to check out, you know. Right. And I thought to myself, man, you know, once Enzo's gone, the, the collector market might start going crazy. So mm-hmm. I thought if I'm going to do it, I better, I better look around. And I looked and just as, as fate would have it, I ran across the 308 GT4 that was mm-hmm. being sold by a, a doctor in Milwaukee who was retiring. Uh-huh. And, um, because of the research I had done and because I knew some people, I knew, uh, uh, uh Joe Pockner up at Lake Forest who had been the mechanic for this particular car. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, to kind of check it out and learn that it was a good car. And so I s- kind of talked to Martha about it and, uh, I had to take out a second, uh, a mortgage, you know, an equity line on my house really to swing the deal. And well, I just felt like it's now or never, you know, uh-huh. And certainly that was the case because values started going up. And oh, this yeah. and that. But the big thing was I was in the hobby, you know, and um, I knew that the, the car was a good car. It wasn't one of the most popular ones, uh-huh. you know, but it was a neat car. And I loved that car. I mean, it was it was uh, just a real fun car. And it got me into the into the club and into the hobby. And uh, and that started everything. And you, you talk about doing a lot of research. What were you looking to determine? How how did how did you decide that this was the car or that was the car or or you stayed in the club, of course, and rubbed elbows with a lot of people, which is uh, my advice to everybody that wants to buy a car, whether it's a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Porsche, whatever, get into the club. But what kind of research did you do? What How'd you determine this was a good car besides Joe? Well, the, the, the big thing was just to kind of absorb everything that you can about the different cars mm-hmm. and about, uh, you know, what's what their foibles are, what their attributes are, things like with the the, um, uh, the, the first V8 series cars, you know, had, had the rubber belts. And this was the first time they'd ever used the rubber timing belts. Uh-huh. And there was the whole issue of keeping the belts current and this and that and the other thing so that you know what to look for. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so that when a when a car comes up, you can kind of feel like you've you know like you know what you're doing. 
and just knowing the personalities to the different people in the club, everybody brings something to the table and mm -hmm. you just, you just learn from everybody. And you know, it's interesting you said that because just like my mom, <laughs> you're saying do your homework. Absolutely. And I love the, the FCA because the people in the Ferrari club are so warm and so welcoming and they're going to, they're going to be able to say, Hey, this car's for sale before somebody actually sells it, yeah. uh, puts it up for sale. Or this guy maybe doesn't drive his car as often. And perhaps there's some deferred maintenance. They'll, They'll point you in the direction of who you should talk to if you want a particular car. I love that as well. Absolutely. And and when I was doing it, of course, it was it was the internet was just really starting to cook. Uh -huh. And you didn't have the resources that you have now. I mean, nowadays mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. you know Ferrari chat and, and this and that and the other thing, just the whole uh, the whole international internet network. It's uh, it's fabulous the kind of uh, data and information that you can that you can glean very easily. Obviously, your business successes allowed you to fuel your passion for cars. So now I know you've got four cars in your garage, all wonderful automobiles. But did you just go out one day and say, yeah, I'm going to buy these four cars? Is there a method to your madness in buying cars? Once you bought that 308 GT4, was that it? You know, I, I had that car. and But then, of course, I kept looking around and just uh, learning and seeing what was happening. And there were other cars that I, that I wanted. I always wanted a Dino. You know, I absolutely always wanted a Dino. Oh, who I doesn't? Wanted, I want, my, my, my collection was going to be uh, the Mangusta, a, a Dino, a uh, Miura, and, uh, you know, maybe an Espada. Uh -huh. uh, the, the Miura, of course, the, the ship sailed on that, and that mm -hmm. was kind of impossible. Right. But I did uh, run across the gentleman who was selling a Dino, and, uh, you know, it was the same kind of thing. You just, if you have a good year and you've got some, got some money and you just, you just figure it out, you know, and that's, I was fortunate to find one and, and got that. And uh, just one by one over the course of time, when opportunity presented itself, why I was able to, to pick up some other stuff. So I've been, obviously, uh, we have spent a little bit of time together and that little 246 GTS of yours, that beautiful little red bullet is just always one of my favorite cars. And I think that's oh, one yeah. of everybody's favorite cars. Tell me a little bit about that car too. Well, you know, to me, I, I always loved that car because of all the road cars that Ferrari ever built. Mm -hmm. That's the one car that has the most direct, uh, you know, like obvious DNA connection uh -huh. to uh, one of their purpose-built racing sports cars, you know, like the 206, 206 SP. Uh -huh, exactly. SP. Yep. You can uh -huh. look at that car and it's obvious that's where that came from, you know. Uh -huh. It's not a road, it's like... Uh, you know, when they took Daytonas, they, they took a Daytona and they fixed it up to race it at Le Mans. Uh -huh. But, you know, the Dino is kind of very closely bred from that, uh, those 206s. Uh -huh. And for my money, I mean, driving around in that little car, I mean, it, as you know, it makes all the right noises, uh -huh. especially if you wind it out. Uh -huh. And it's one of those deals where you can have so much fun without having to go real fast. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And it kind of epitomizes everything that Ferrari is about from the noise and the performance and the handling and uh -huh. the craftsmanship and the lineage of the car and everything else. It's like all wrapped up in this compact little unit. And and truthfully, that car, I mean, I've driven a ton of Dinos. Uh, that car never had a lot of oomph. And yet it was plenty fast. It was so much fun. I just love to look out that windshield, look at those wheel arches. It's so beautiful. Over 4,000 RPM. It sounds just like a 12. Oh yeah, when you get up there, it's it, it really does uh, scream and holler, and yeah. uh, it's it's the one car that's most like you know my race car was. You know, uh -huh. it just it just it, it just was very very enjoyable. 
And that's a, that's a GTS if I'm... Uh, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is it a chairs and flares car or what is it? No, no, no. It's just a, a regular old, you know... Regular old... Unit. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll give you a hundred grand for it if you ever want to unload on that car. No. Nope, nope, uh, nope. So how did? Okay. So we got through the Dino. What else did you buy, and 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 what propelled you? Well, you know, I, I uh, had always wanted to have a twelve-cylinder car. Ah. And uh, and as I said before, I wanted a Mura, but that was kind sure. of out of the question. Yep. But I was always intrigued by the Espada when I was at that auto show in Paris. Across from the Mongoosta was this metallic green Espada. Hmm. And I looked at that car, and, and it, it, it impressed me as being a masterful design in terms of packaging. That they got that huge engine mm-hmm. and all that stuff packed into that car, yeah. and you could still get four adults and luggage in it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it always intrigued me. And uh, I saw one uh, listed on the internet uh, out in Boston. And it happened I was going out there in business. And so I thought, what the heck? You know, check this out. Uh-huh. And uh, next thing I know, you know, I've got the Espada. I remember meeting you for the first time and having uh, checked you out a couple of times too, calling people. Well, what do you think of this guy? <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> I know, I know. So you've got the Lamborghini. You've obviously got the Ferrari Dino. I've, I've been in the Mangusta for a great while, and you got something else in the garage. That's yeah. That was as I mentioned. I, I think I mentioned earlier on. I was really uh, jazzed in high school about the GT40. Uh-huh. After having watched that racing program uh, happen in the '60s, and I'd always have this fantasy about getting an old GT40. Mm-hmm. You know driving that well of course we know what happened with that you know but then (laughs) another ship sailing right oh god yeah gone but then i heard that superformance was going to come out with a very exact uh replica Uh you know a reproduction you know it was going to be a series continuation and everything else Mm -hmm. and it was going to be very reasonably priced and I was aware of uh, Superformance, and I, I was impressed with their build quality. And I, here again, I did some homework and this and that and the other thing. And I found out that, yeah, it was on the up and up. So I I sold the GT4, uh, the Ferrari GT308 GT4, and basically gave the money to Superformance and said, here's a deposit. I want, I, I want one. Mm-hmm. So I basically gave them the money sight unseen and uh, waited three years for them to build the car. And that's how I got the GT40. I know I have personal feelings about replicas. Frankly, I love them. I would much rather keep, as if I had $4 million in the bank, uh, to go out and buy a real Porsche 550 than I would get 99% of the thrills at a uh, hundredth or a tenth of, of that cost. So, Absolutely. So, so what is it about a car like that? You, you, you go buy a replica car, but is it, is it the feeling of driving something that is exactly like it, but saves your 401k? What is it? Well, I had always wanted to know, you know, what was it like for Jackie Yicks mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to pedal that thing full uh-huh. tilt, yeah. you know, down, you know, on a, on a big, big boy racetrack. Uh-huh. And so my thing was, I, I want to take the GT40 and get on to El, at Elkhart Lake, get at Road America, and just see what it's like to let that thing loose. And, and uh, that's as close as you can get to having the real thing. I mean, it's got the same chassis and, and everything's the same, except it's got better brakes. You know, and it's actually got more horsepower. Uh-huh. And it weighs a little. It weighs a little less because it has an aluminum block. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's an exhilarating thing. So, how does it feel? Walk, walk me through four point one miles well, in North America. Uh, it, it's you, when when you really get going. Uh, I, 
I raced for a number of years, as you know, a little a little two liter uh, 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 spec racer Ford. Uh-huh. And going around Road America, there are a lot of places where I would always say to myself, "God, if I just had a little more horsepower," mm-hmm. you know. Well, you get this thing out there, and it's it, it's got everything that you need, obviously, and. Uh-huh. Because it's so capable, being a you know actually a, a world class then world class race car, mm-hmm. that it just goes, and you find yourself going faster and faster and faster. And pretty soon, I was going through corners far faster than I had ever even dreamed I was that I could. Mm-hmm. And I had to I had to rein myself in because I knew that I was going to reach my limits before the car would. Uh huh. And and that would be you know potentially disastrous. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So uh, so I had to I had to rein myself in. But but it's uh, it's exhilarating. I call it my adrenaline delivery system. So the spec racing thing sort of came before uh, you bought the the GT40. Yeah 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 it did. I uh, my partner and I would every two or three years we would do a partner's uh, escape where we would kind of go off somewhere and spend a weekend and just you know, do our business planning and this kind of stuff. Your you know. architectural partner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. And, and uh, one year we, we went to the Formula One race at, at Indy and uh, Skip Barber had a tent there. And I said to my partner, I said, look, we're going to do our little our little trip. Let's go do Skip Barber mm-hmm. and we can do our, our getaway there and, and enjoy it. And and we decided to do that. And rather than go to Road America, we went to uh, Laguna Seca. That wonderful so track. We could, yeah. do, we could do the California thing. and. Uh-huh. And that, that got us going, and, and we just loved that. So the next year, we went back and did the advanced uh, driving school. And uh, when we got done, you know, the, the instructor said to me, said, well, you know, here's your diploma, and you can either go back home and hang this on the wall, or you can go get your license and, and go do it. Let you me know, guess what you did. Well, yeah, I think you can guess, you know. <laughs> now, my, my partner did the other thing. He put the thing on the wall and, and okay. didn't do it, but... Uh-huh. I came back and I, I got together with uh, a Bertie Martin's son, Bo, who has a, um, a race shop and actually is a dealer for Spec Racer Fords. Uh-huh. And uh, I did a test day and loved it, of course. Mm-hmm. So uh, I came back and, and, I, and I bought one and, that, and I was in. Was it one season and then you're done? What'd you do? No, I, I did uh, from, I started in 2003. Uh, I think I did six seasons. Oh. And uh, I got to the point where, you know, I got I managed to get like one pole during that time. Mm-hmm. And I think my best uh, uh, qualifying was fourth at Road America. Mm-hmm. And I had finished like fifth or sixth, you know, and and I got to the point where I thought, you know, OK, it's obvious I could probably win, uh, you know, a local race, not not a national one, but a regional one I could probably win. If I do the seat time and spend the time that it takes, you know, to to do it. Right. But then I started doing the numbers and I thought, God, you know, that's going to be expensive. You know? So uh-huh. I just made the determination that um, that that I would uh, kind of put my money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I so I stopped after six seasons, six seasons of fun, I take it. It was. I was thinking about getting a, a, um, a historic racer and, and racing vintage. Mm hmm. But uh, again, doing my homework, I would go to uh, I'd go to vintage events. In fact, I I helped uh, uh, Martin and Pat uh, crew with their S two thousand a couple times, uh-huh. and just to kind of get the feel, you know, to kind of get the feel of what was going on. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, I decided, you know, maybe, you know, especially at my point in life, maybe it's not the best thing to do. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, obviously our good friends, uh, Martin Hancock and Patrick Bowling are still campaigning right. out there, still teaching the FCA. Yes, they, are. they spent yep. some serious time on the track and those, those two guys behind their backs, I hate them, uh, because they're so, <laughs> they're so damn fast. Okay. We're not going to go there. You know, Daryl, I, I got to wind back to your career. You're an architect. I yeah. know you've, you've, you've semi-retired, but you still have your hand in it. But I think a lot of us appreciate cars for their lines. I look at a car like you do and I say, oh my God, look at that Dino or that 250 SWB or a Porsche or whatever it is. There has to be a relationship between architecture when you're designing a building or you're designing a bridge or whatever it is and, and, and car designers. What, uh, what's that relationship? What, is there something that you've taken away from your architectural training that would lead you to jump back into design school? And what would you do? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the big thing about whether you're designing a, a building or a car, um, it, it's they're kind of similar in that they're very complex things. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh-huh. You've got to accommodate people. You've got to keep the people warm. You've got to, you've got to gen, you know, have electricity and lighting and all that kind of stuff. And it's got to work. Um, but then ultimately, once you get it all done, it looks like something. You know, Uh regardless, whatever you design, it's going to look like something. And if I've always felt, and again, it goes back to that whole uh, Italian influence that, that whatever you design should create some, you know, evoke some kind of a reaction and uh, a, a good design will, will really communicate with people, even if they're not using, whether it's a building or a car or whatever, you can look at it and you get something from it. And regardless if, if it's good or if it's bad, and if it's good, it can really be a great thing. And so I think that that's one of the one of the parallels. I think that uh, cars, of course, more than more than anything, you, the styling becomes a marketing tool because it's let's face it, it's it's a big part of the reason people buy cars mm-hmm. uh, in certain sure. ways or just or decide between them. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's it's a challenge to 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 package all the stuff that you have to package. And have something that functionally is, you know, works and is efficient and yet gives you a good feeling, uh-huh. you know, what, whatever that feeling might be that you're trying to communicate. So I, I think that's the parallel. And, and, you know, the other thing that I've always uh, admired, you get real enjoyment out of working on your own cars. You're one of the very few guys I know out there that really enjoys busting knuckles. How come? Well, well, you, you need to qualify that. I mean, I, I, there's... Remember, there's that that Dirty Harry movie. I forget which one it was, where he says, "Oh, man's got to know his limitations." Yeah. Well, that's kind of me, you know, because I uh, there are certain things I won't do. I'm not going to tear apart Weber's and try and balance all the Weber's on the Lamborghini. I mean, you know, there there are guys who can do that, right? And and would be better at it than I. A Todd Rudy or people like Todd, that. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, or Joe right. Pockner or somebody. Sure. Was, yeah, and when when I had the problem, uh, I, after I had the Dino, I only had it like. Uh, like a couple months and it dropped a valve and hold a piston. Hmm. And, uh, of course it went right down to Todd Rudy. <laughs> right. Right. Who rebuilt, who rebuilt the whole thing stem to stern and did a fabulous job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would never dream of, you know, taking apart, you know, the motor on that car. But I mean, I have changed the starter on it to replace the starter and mm-hmm. a few other things, you know, simple things. But, uh, I, I get satisfaction out of it just knowing, 
that you did it yourself. Plus, you get to learn how the car was put together. If you are mentoring a young guy or girl coming out of college, and they really had their sights set on something exotic, whatever that is to a millennial or whatever that is to any person, um, what advice would you give them to, to make their journey a little bit easier to buying that first exotic car? I think that, uh, again, I would have to speak from, from my personal experience is that knowledge is your biggest asset. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to, to understand what it is that, that you are drawn to about whether it's a car or whatever and understand, um, you know, just, just what the, the attraction is and then knowing what you can about whatever that object or thing is uh, to help you to get to the right place mm -hmm. and find the right option and an opportunity to become, you know, connected and actually be an owner or being involved with it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the important thing, I think. And, uh, okay. and oftentimes you might uh, find out that, you know, actually now that I know about it, it's maybe not that interesting, mm -hmm. you know? Right. I mean, that's, that, that happens. It does. Um, and you've had so many car adventures, both with your cars and in other countries and stuff like that. If you had to share some favorites, what's something that you don't miss? Is it a rally, a concours? What would you tell people that they have to have to do? Well, of course, being a Formula One fan, you know, I always, you know, I say that there's nothing that really compares with that. Now, of course, Formula One has gone through a big metamorphosis now. And it's uh, it's not it's not what it was uh, when I went to that. For me, it was an, an enormous thing. Uh, my first race was the one I went to in Barcelona, and I just happened upon the race. I just happened to be in town the weekend that it was being run, and we heard the cars in the distance, and we you know walked just walked toward the noise, and uh, I ended up walking through this thicket of woods and brambles, and, and ended up stumbling <laughs> right into the paddock of the Ferrari team. I mean, it was it was unbelievable, and I stood there for two hours watching him tune Jackie X's car, and, uh -huh. and I watched Jackie X put on his suit, you know, and and then I walked uh -huh. out by the track, uh -huh. and in those days you could get right up to the Armco, you know, and I watched Jackie Stewart nicking within lap. an inch of the Armco every lap, yeah. you know, and lap after lap, and it is such a, a, an esoteric mm -hmm. thing. It is so far out there in terms of ability and and the, and the cars and everything else that, that it's something i think everybody should take in at some point and this the atmosphere too is, is really special so you know i also know that you enjoy not only driving your cars but i have always as much as i hate to admit it i've always seen you as an ambassador i i, I the nights that you go out to uh the cruise nights and stuff like that it always seems like people are hanging around if it's the dino or the mangusta or the espada or whatever it is and you are happy to answer the same questions time after time well i mean you feel like you're doing something positive if if uh, especially when the kids come up and they're all jazzed about the car you know and they're looking at it you know and peeking in the window and then you go come up to them and say well you want you want to get in Mm -hmm. And they just, they look at their parents. They always look is at their parents. Is he serious? Yeah. Is, he, look is like, this oh my man God, nuts? Did you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and, and it's just, it's such a, a rush to, to, to have mm -hmm. them react that right. way and, and get to have that experience, number one. And plus, you know, there's something to be said for being able to contribute to, uh, to correct knowledge because there's some, sometimes you hear people say mm -hmm. things out there that it's just way out in left field, you know, Give uh, me an example. You know, what have about you heard? Ferrari history or whatever. And you feel like, oh, well, uh, okay. I, I was, uh, 
I was standing by the Dino one day, and this guy was standing there telling <laughs> the, his little entourage about the Dino, and, he, and he's, uh -huh. he's explaining in a very scholarly uh -huh. way. You know, he said, oh, yes, uh, the Dino was named. Oh, yeah, well. And, and he said, uh, yes, the, the Dino was named after uh, Mr. Mm. Ferrari's son, Dino, who was killed in a Formula One race. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, I can't let that go. <laughs> so I went up and introduced myself, and, and we were talking, and, and we, we kind of got it around eventually to getting him the right story, you know. And, uh, and, and he, was, he was appreciative, you know. And uh, so I thought to myself, well, that's, that's good. At least that's one person who's going to repeat the correct story you know, moving forward. And I, I know I've touched on this question a million times with a million different people, but tomorrow, congratulations, Mr. Powerball. If money were no object. Maybe it's just being when I grew yeah. up or when I, when I became attached to, to the cars, but it would definitely be, you know, mm -hmm. one of the, the sixties uh, Ferraris, you know, probably uh -huh. something like a, you know, a, a, a Lusso. Mm -hmm. I've always thought that that was just a fabulous car. And, uh, you know, they're just, there's something about those cars, the way they were built and the way the factory was when they were built, that uh, I, I think it would be, you know, something in that era. The, the new cars to me, when I open a car, and you, one of my criteria now is I like to be able to open the engine bay and look inside. And if I can't mm -hmm. understand what all the pieces are that I'm looking at. Or see the engine. I completely lose interest. You can't even see them. Yeah, I mean, now it's like it's under some kind of fake, uh -huh. you know, weird uh, plastic you know, shroud, and you open it up, and it's nothing but sensors and servos and CPUs and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just, I, I have no interest in that. Daryl, thanks for being on the show again today. And the things that I'm taking away from our conversation together is, number one, do your homework. Like our moms always said, make sure you research the car or cars that you want to buy. Learn everything you possibly can. And number two, your path to buying an exotic car. I know it wasn't easy, but uh, anybody can do it if they want it badly enough. I want to thank you so much for coming on as a podcast guest. Interested in contacting Daryl Adams? Daryl's email address is d-a-m-a-a-d-a-m-s at gmail.com. That's d-a-m-a-a-d-a-m-s at gmail.com. Thank you for listening in to our podcast today. If you'd like to see or hear more about our adventures, you can sign up for our newsletter at drivewithdave.com. Hope to see you in our next podcast.